0: So AC, for your Australian audience, JT is Justin Timberlake. He is a... You can call me off any time. I'm assuming you know who Justin Oh no, I actually kind of not. But
1: I'm guessing he is some sort of American or Canadian <laughs> guy who does <laughs> stuff on entertainment. Yes, I got this. That's very <laughs> Very... I'm guessing he's a singer. Is he a singer or is he an actor or is he both? He's both. He's both? Okay. Well, I think I knew he was a singer. I didn't know he acted.
2: You have successfully bracketed him in now. We know who he is. (laughs) He's a singer-actor guy from either America or Canada.
0: All right. Well, this has already gone well off the rails, which is exactly (laughs) what I was hoping for. Cody Goff of Game Life Balance US. I'm joined by Andrew A.C. Yashimura of Game Life Balance Australia. We are sister shows. And then our third cousin twice removed show. Well, there are several shows that Chris is part of, but the real Chris Farrell is here from All Things Good and Nerdy, the official geek.com podcast, Nerd Alert News, and at least two other podcasts.
2: Nerd Alert News closed down. Oh, well, I don't really like that show. Why did you do that?
1: If, if, you, if you do that many podcasts and you're not verified, there's something wrong
2: with the system. So the, what we do now is everyone go follow me and tweet at Twitter directly, make Chris verified. And they'll do nothing. <laughs> and we can pretend like it worked, though.
0: I'm, I'm, I'm hey on board with that. everyone, well,
1: Justin Timberlake is now verified.
2: Cool.
0: Excellent. <laughs> oh damn it. So anyway, so today we have all come together and combined forces because we all have a little thing called the Nintendo Switch, which Chris has expertly reviewed. Oh, you have the blue and red Joy-Con. I have the black Joy-Con. So do yeah, I. I. had to get, I had to get, because it's like, it looks more like a toy and it's like a Nintendo thing. So, you know. And because you could only locate one that was in stores. So you probably didn't have a choice. <laughs> you know what? They are everywhere in Australia. Switches
1: are prolific. You can, like, you go to um, Costco and there's like a wall of them. And the reason is it's because I think in Australia they're so damn expensive because the Australian dollar is kind of low. So people go, eh, it's almost $500. Uh, and then you got to buy Zelda and then a Pro Controller. And that's like, you know, creeping up to 600 or more dollars. So, eh, yeah, maybe not. So I think, uh, you know, people do buy them, but they're not flying off shelves over here. I got mine from Japan.
0: Right, because they are flying off the shelves in Japan and you could only find one, basically, right? I
1: I found this one secondhand. I did actually have a choice uh, between a new black one or a secondhand color one. Uh, And it was, of course, cheaper because it was secondhand. But the thing is, they said, oh, there's a scratch on it. And I have been over this thing... Like, with a magnifying glass, and there is no scratch that I can find. It's the Japanese version of scratch, which means <laughs> that there might be a tiny scratch on the back underneath somehow, or possibly on the inside of the case. So, like they said, there's a scratch, and I just went, there's no scratch. I'll take that for much less money. So, yeah, no doubt. I am quite happy that i got the colorful one actually because that way it won't suddenly disappear in my house and i won't be able to find it
0: good and quick chris what were you about to say i can't even remember now wow <laughs> that was like three se- it wasn't even 30 seconds or part way it was literally maybe three seconds but i i think honestly my normal co-host uncle stabbo jonathan martin has a shorter attention span than that so you're still beating him
2: <laughs> Can we please make him a graphic that just should go stab him every time he talks in the future?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I like that idea. Well, AC has reviewed the Nintendo Switch and 1-2 Switch on Game Life Balance Australia, which you should check out. And Chris did a really cool, very informative review of the Nintendo Switch on the official com podcast. And that is how I learned where and how to buy a screen protector because I hadn't even considered buying a screen protector until I learned from that podcast that sometimes if you, well, you can explain it, but basically once you're putting it in the tr- in the tr- the track on the dock, it can scratch it. If you want to go over that briefly again.
2: Yeah. So what's going on there is the Switch has a plastic screen. It's not Gorilla Glass like you see on your cell phones or your iPads and things like that. So it's plastic. In part to cut costs but also because they said Well if you drop with a plastic screen It's not going to shatter you might just get a crack Instead so it was a design consideration The problem is your switch Dock is plastic so you have plastic rubbing On plastic and if there's any kind of dirt or grit There people were starting to see their screens Get scratched up so when the switch First dropped here in North America There was an incredible run on screen protectors Because everyone's (laughs) like I'm not getting my switch Scratched up it's brand new So I remember I bought mine And then the next day I was out trying to find a screen protector once I saw the thread on Reddit or whatever about scratch screens. And then like I waited another week for a tempered glass one to get shipped in from Amazon.
1: I actually got a screen protector too, but the funny thing is that my Switch remains docked literally 99% of the time I'm using it. I think I've only used it once back in Australia where I didn't have it docked and I hated it because I'm so used to playing Zelda on the uh, Pro Controller that when all of a sudden I've got like, ...the screen basically in between like a much kind of smaller controllers... ...and my hands are pretty big. It was very much more awkward to play. So although I put the screen protector on and I did all the right things... ...it just kind of lives in the dock connected to my TV.
0: I was going to actually speak to that just a little bit. So before we get into the full-blown Breath of the Wild Legend of Zelda review... ...just a couple notes Mm -hmm. on the Switch since I haven't really reviewed it at all... ...on Game Life Balance US. I, I have played it extensively portably... In fact, I fought Ganon in the portable mode on an airplane because I got overzealous and happened to be in Hyrule Castle. And whoops, there's the final boss of the game. And oh, the flight is deboarding. Please pause the end of the game when Ganon is at a a fifth of his health so you may deboard the plane and then exit into the Minneapolis-St. Paul Airport. And then I was actually going to visit Jonathan, Uncle Stabo, Martin, my normal co-host, And when I got to his place, we were all there to play board games, so it was several hours before I then resumed playing, finished the end boss, and then had to pause it halfway through the credits, and then watch the end of the credits as I was laying on a couch, drunk, trying to fall asleep. So I will say the quality of the screen I think is phenomenal I think the, the graphics are great I think it's nice because it's so immediately responsive in your hands whereas with the dock occasionally you can you can notice a very 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 slight delay I mean we're talking a, a fraction of a second but it is immediately responsive when it's all in your hand. It's it's in my hand. I've got it off camera, but I'm just holding it here talking. Um, it's not on. Don't worry. I'm not I'm not playing while we podcast. Although I very easily could because it's portable. Oh, there's that. There's Zelda. Oh, look at Cody's inventory.
1: Oh, what does he have? <laughs> I know you don't want to get into uh, like Zelda just quite yet, but I got to ask. When you walked in on the boss, was it kind of half by accident or did you know that you were going into like? Because I kind of walked in and I kind of went, oh, this is the boss. It's kind of like walking into someone when they're in the shower. It's like, oh, whoops. Oh, maybe I shouldn't be in here just yet.
0: I mean, I saw a big throbbing pulsing thing somewhere in the room which usually in real life when I walk and see a throbbing pulsing thing in a room, I do not enter. But in this particular case, Chris looks very contemplative about this particular...
2: Chris is trying not to go back to an older episode where Cody was talking to his throaty and manly voice. <laughs> I do remember that one.
0: Oh boy. <laughs> I, I did know it was Ganon, but I didn't. I, I figured he would kill me. And and I have. Well, I thought, we'll talk about Ganon and the difficulty curve and all that stuff later, but I didn't think mm. I was at a point where I'd be able to beat him. So I figured, oh, I'll trigger it, see how crazy it is, and then be done. And I ended up beating the game because it was a lot less difficult than I thought. But I was way further than you were. You did it with like three hearts or something, right? Oh, good Lord. Me? No, 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 no. No, I, no, I
1: had almost, not a full complement of hearts, but I had uh, more than a row. I, had a, I think I had a one full row plus two. It was just when I walked in by accident, I was just exploring the castle. And I, you know, there, there are big throbbing things because, you know, of all that you know purple gunk all over the place Mm -hmm. and i wasn't really paying attention because i thought the castle would be so massive that i wouldn't be able to just accidentally wander in i thought there'd be a couple of mini bosses or something first and then all of a sudden it triggered a cutscene, and i went i don't even know where in the castle i am i was just climbing a wall and then i ended up here and this there's zelda talking to me from the ceiling and then there's the big throbbing thing and it's purple and
0: All of a sudden, I was just in in the full of it. So no spoilers, Chris, but we will give you many purple throbbing things to look forward to. (laughs) That's not a loaded statement at all, but we'll continue to just move forward. (laughs) Sure we will. Anyway, I digress. I I had to go back to the the handheld. My favorite thing in the universe about the Nintendo Switch is the ability to hold both controllers in both hands, the Joy-Cons, and just lay back with your chest open which is extremely good for you posture-wise and ergonomically, it's just good for your body to just sit back in the couch. And it may seem like more of a slouchy position, but it is legitimately like it's good to have an open chest. It's like a yoga thing, I guess. According to my fiance, I don't know if it's true, but I, I, I absolutely love it. My favorite thing about playing the game was just being able to sit back So when I was on the airplane, actually, the first, I flew to San Francisco a few weeks ago and then before my Minneapolis trip. When I flew to San Francisco, that's a, it was a three or four hour plane ride and by a couple hours in of just playing Zelda nonstop, my hands my arms and hands kinda did get to be a little uncomfortable because you're already crammed into an airplane seat. And now on top of that, you've got that your hands just in a perfectly parallel position. So it got to be a bit uncomfortable. In general, as a handheld, yeah, once in a while I think it's fine, but for really prolonged periods of time, I I probably would would prefer to be using the full screen mode. But it, it's not for me, it's not a screen thing. I don't know, Chris, about you, how much you've used its portability. So, it varies by game,
2: I found out. When I'm playing Zelda, most of the time I'm playing with the Pro Controller docked in the TV. Now, when I'm doing something that's important, if I'm just exploring, I'll generally undock it and we'll be watching something else on TV while I'm sitting there staring at my Switch, kind of exploring and occasionally looking up. What I have found out, though, is I just picked up Mario Kart like this last weekend. I and mean, we're not here to talk about Mario Kart, but I've found I like to play that more in handheld mode than I do like to play it on the big screen TV.
0: Oh, interesting.
2: I don't know why. Maybe it's because I'm so used to like all the DS versions of Mario Kart and stuff and being able to play, just have it right up against me, but I love playing Mario Kart in handheld mode on the big screen. I feel like there's just a touch of lag that throws me off a little bit.
1: When I play Mario Kart 8, it's with other people. Like We have like two to four other people playing at the same time on the big screen, and I I don't really notice any... Any lag on mine, Uh, maybe I'm just not
2: as susceptible to it. It's probably I just suck at the game and that's my excuse I'm giving myself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) AC, I think it's because you're in Australia and time works. So you're further in the future? Being in the future does help. So what automatically any lag is already compensated for by the difference in your position in the space-time continuum? I believe it's called the Coriolis effect, yes. (laughs) I learned that from The Simpsons. I actually learned the Coriolis effect from Call of Duty 4 Modern Warfare. Not kidding. Chris, you were about to posit something about the space-time continuum, unless you've already forgotten. I don't even know what I was supposedly going to say about the space-time
2: continuum, so we'll pretend like I forgot. I'm just here to be Uncle Stabo today, guys.
0: You'll never be... You'll never sink to that level. Anyway, I will say the one thing. My one major complaint about the Switch is that I have the original old left Joy-Con which oh. is not good and you haven't sent it back to Nintendo for fixing not yet
1: because you're too lazy yeah or you won't so, have a Switch
2: then
0: I didn't do so just so you know some of the original manufacturing runs of the Switch, the left Joy-Con is basically missing a little square of some kind of material. I don't remember what it is. I think it's actually part of the antenna. It's not long enough or it doesn't have enough
1: conductivity. Mm-hmm. So other things can interfere with the, um, with the Bluetooth between your Switch and the Joy-Con. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, it is fixed by basically putting some conductive foam on the inside. And some people have fixed it by just adding like a little extra section to the antenna as well. Mm. When we reviewed One, Two Switch, we, we did use the Joy-Cons and we found no issues. But then again, One, Two Switch is a pretty crappy game. So <laughs>
0: if, if there was some connectivity issues there, we probably wouldn't have noticed. Well, you two need to stop using the pro controller all the time because I'm telling you, it is. And to be honest, I have huge—I mean, I have huge hands. The AC—I you I know you're a pretty tall gent yourself, but I'm hmm. six feet four inches, or about t- yeah. You're, you're you're a couple of inches taller than I am. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, about two hundred five centimeters, I think, is what I am. <whistles> Sound pretty about big. right. Yep. Yeah.
1: All right. I'm, I, <laughs> I think it'd, it'd be like one hundred ninety something or something, one hundred ninety-four or something ninety-five. I mean, if you include your anime hair, you'd probably crack the, the two meter mark.
2: That's the thing. Cody's <laughs> hair gives him an extra two inches of height over me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's true. Chris is a tall one too. You're probably 6'3", 6'4".
2: 6'3", 6'4", depending, yeah.
0: All right, so you're listening to the right. Giants podcast.
1: Well, I'm actually only about six one six two, so like you, I, this is very rare that I'm the smallest person in the room. Well, or the podcast.
0: <laughs> well, just you wait until I come to Australia and or Japan, and we're all just terrified of whatever. Happens after that. But, so we all have. You know like, what?
1: You know what I'm going to do? When I see you for the first time, I'm immediately going to jump onto your shoulders.
0: <laughs> oh, and see. probably slap you on the ass, going, giddy up, giddy up! Which is actually a traditional greeting in Australia, I've heard. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we do. The
1: Queen gets it when she comes here. The Prime Minister just jumps on her back and goes, giddy up, you old bag!
0: Is the Queen perhaps going to make a cameo in this episode? We, we'd We are not sure about that, (laughs) but you never knew. She might duck in for a quick cup of tea and some scones. Oh, my God. Rob is rolling over in his... Bed right now, assuming he's still asleep. I back to the Joy Con controller. This is really whoa, well, this is about as hard as I thought it would be to stay on track. So, anyway, we're all gigantic and we have big hands. And the first time I held the Joy Con controller, I was like, Is this a joke? This is these are the smallest buttons, it's so tiny, I think it's going to be uncomfortable. And I've been able to play Zelda for hours on end, not thinking that at all. Like, it actually has turned out to be. Perhaps the most comfortable controller I've ever used, which blows my mind. Again, Nintendo geniuses. I don't know how they do it. I don't know. I
1: think it actually has a a comparable thickness and button size to the uh, Game Boy Advance SP to a certain extent because it's kind of, you know, it's very close together and you're looking at a kind of tiny screen on an angle and the buttons are very close. So even when you're using only one Joy-Con to play something like Mario Kart i don't think it's that bad like it, it it you know it feels solid it doesn't feel flimsy and i think that helps because you can grip it as hard as you want and you can kind of turn it and you know throw it at your uh, at you know your your opponent whatever that
2: See, happens the toughest thing for me with the joy cons is the bumper buttons are so small mm. Mm. Th- that's the thing i have the hardest time with is i can hit the triggers no problem but the bumpers i'm like did i hit it oh crap it's it's tiny
1: that's what the like the little strap thing is for, though. I guess like, that's true. If you you clip the clip the strap on, uh, but even then, like all the strap is is just an extra piece of plastic with some buttons on top, which just forces those bumpers down. And, and I so, have a
2: hard time getting the strap back off when I put it on, so I tend not to do it.
1: I go strapless all the time. I'm strap free.
0: See, I heard <laughs> when you put the strap on, it's a lot easier to defeat the throbbing things. <laughs> I was afraid
2: that joke was going to get (laughs) me.
0: Someone was going to make it, and I kind of knew that it was going to be Cody. Uh,
2: At least it wasn't me. That one was a low-hanging
0: fruit, if you will. All right. That's podcast over. Purple throbbing fruit. So overall, I, th- I hope that was a good overview for whatever audience is left. God forbid anyone is still listening to this. Some of the quirks of the Switch and a couple ways to maybe protect your screen a bit and a couple different ways to enjoy the game and some pros and cons of the of the portability versus the non-portability. I will also say one other thing. I did not notice the battery life being a factor at all. Pretty much survived all the plane trips I took. Um, I did bring an extra portable charger and... It actually works with my Android phone. I've got an HTC whatever cable that is, so I was able to kind of charge it as I went. But it holds a pretty good charge and you know, no performance issues because it's it is the whole console in your hand, which is which is neat. So that will wrap up and conclude our little Nintendo Switch segment. And now, even though we've been full gamer this entire time, I feel like dropping in a sound effect in the audio podcast at this point. So this is where we will go. Full gamer. I
1: have no idea what sound effect you use because as you know I always watch you on YouTube. I just I, I love to see the unedited YouTube where like you and John just go hammer and tongs at each other sometimes. <laughs> like your internet will drop out and there'll just be like a 10 minute period we're going are we, are we
0: up yet? God, I hate you so much, John. You're really selling our YouTube channel
2: <laughs> <laughs> And you can find that YouTube channel at what URL, Cody? Where do we find your
0: YouTube channel? <laughs> You can find our audio podcast at US dot com, or hey, you're at Australia dot com, and Chris, well, you're on gunageek. but and all things, what's atgmpodcast.com atgmpodcast.com, right? So check us all out there for shows that we presumably have under a reasonable amount of control compared to what's <laughs> happening right now. Else is about the same, I reckon. Actually, yeah, I was going to say this is pretty it's much past standard the <laughs> And I do, I will note before we delve into the Zelda part that it's evening, uh, Friday evening where Chris and I are, so I'm actually, we would normally have beer, but AC, I presumed you'd be drinking coffee, and in fact you were drinking... I've got maybe a beer, a Sahi beer and a,
1: a Red Bull, maybe with a dash of vodka in there somewhere. And I've the thing is that I've got to do a whole bunch of housework after this. And, you know, because my wife and daughter are coming back from Japan later this week. So I've got to clean the entire house, do all the washing. And then after that, I've got my own podcast to do this afternoon. So at some point, I've either got to sober up or get really, really, really drunk.
2: I know what I vote. <laughs>
1: Number two is always a good option.
0: (laughs) Number two is, is certainly a good option that I'm not going to turn into a joke about throbbing things. So, Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is the newest Legend of Zelda video game. It was released in February or March 2017. No one really cares because it's been out for at least a few months. And if you're listening to this now, you probably don't care when it came out exactly either. But... Suffice to say, it took a few months for me to beat, mostly because I've been distracted by Final Fantasy XIV. Chris has actually not quite beaten it yet because you got distracted by another game?
2: Yeah, Mass Effect Andromeda. I have a problem that I love Mass Effect far too much, and as soon as that game came out, I then spent about 65 hours playing that game and took a break from Zelda, and I'm just now working my way back into playing Zelda again. So how many hours into Zelda are you now? I think it said I had about... 48 or 50 hours into zelda right now i have spent a lot of time exploring and honestly what it came down to for me before i started doing divine beasts and stuff i was like i want the master sword so i was just doing shrines to get hearts ah
1: Mm. and cody how many hours were you in before you uh before you finished it
0: that's a really good question you know i just finished it i'm actually going to turn on my switch to check while you're doing that i'll I'll mention that i
1: did over 90 hours between 1995 hours i think i spent on zelda uh, and I, after I finished it, I did a couple of other things, like went back and just defeated a, a, a couple of uh, Lynels and stuff that I'd never bothered defeating the first time and killed them and then kind of went, okay, I think I've done most of what I need to see in the game. So, okay. Yeah.
0: So I'm at 65 hours-ish, and I pretty much just beat the game. So yeah, figure about 63, 64 hours uh, minimum to beat the game. And uh, that, that that will bring us to the completion percentage which we'll get to momentarily but um just to set the stage for those who don't really know much about this game who maybe wait a little bit to buy the latest and greatest in games and, and didn't buy one as brand new this game totally breaks the zelda formula so with the legend of zelda a link to the past they had a formula you got three magical pendants and then that lets you get the master sword and then there were six Crystal Palaces, and then you fought Ganon. The Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time was extremely similar. You were Child Link, you got three pendant-type things, you got the Master Sword, and then you turn into an adult, and you beat six or seven, basically, temples. And that formula continued again with The Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker. You got three magical whatever it was, and then you got the, I believe, the Master Sword again, or somewhere around there. And then you beat a handful of shrines. A little bit of a different formula with the later part of the game, but, and then you beat the game. And The Legend of Zelda uh, Twilight Princess, which up until this point was my favorite game in the series, exact same thing, variations on a theme. You've got your three temples. And they would always, of course, introduce different weapons, different order of getting items, different ways to solve puzzles, and, and a couple different gameplay elements here and there, like Wolf Link in that game. But for the most part, it has always, since Link to the Past, which came out in the early 90s, always been variations on a theme that was pretty much get to do a few dungeons, Master Sword, Harder Dungeons. And most of it was pretty linear. Occasionally, you could skip around one or two dungeons. But overall, pretty much a linear deal. So for 20-some years, it's been more or less the same exact formula. Inclu- even Skyward Sword did pretty much the same thing. They introduced kind of a third axe that I thought was very repetitive and actually turned me off from that game near the end. But for the most part, oh, good games. I like Zelda. I'm assuming both of you like Zelda as well. But... There are people like like my normal co-host, Jonathan Colstabo Martin, who got a bit sick of the formula, and there are some who I think are less Zelda-crazed because it's been a bit of a repetitive thing. This game completely eschews all of that in every way possible, and makes it a completely nonlinear game, even more so than the original Legend of Zelda in from 1986, hmm. and it, it opens it up in a whole new way. So I will perhaps let... Chris is really good at giving kind of general, very concise overviews, so I'll let Chris do a pretty quick overview and then AC give his thoughts on the new structure.
2: So the new structure, it's very similar to a lot of those other open-world games you might have played, like Skyrim or some of the Dragon Age games in a part, because... You can go and do whatever you want. You can go explore do whatever you want. This game doesn't hold your hand after the very first, what, three hours of the game, roughly. You start the game on Hyrule Plateau. You have to unlock some powers. And then from that point, if you really wanted to, once you get off that plateau, which takes about two to three hours to beat, you could go beat Ganon and call it a game if you want it. Or at least try to. <laughs> the fun in this game and literally how they built it is you're just expected to explore, to wander around the environment be like, hey, that looks cool. Let me go check that out. Happen upon shrines, unlock shrines, unlock abilities, find new cool toys. Everything in this game is about just go get lost in the world. And it's strangely enjoyable, but it's also overwhelming at times, I think, too. Because you're like, what do I do now? I guess I can just wander around. I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. I forgot what mission I'm on. I forgot what I need to
0: do next. And I would add to that that when you say the first few hours you kind of go through a couple different steps for the game. It still delves you immediately into the action. So a huge complaint that I have about Wind Waker... Wind Waker is a lot of people's favorite Zelda game. I hate the first two kind of dungeon areas, where you... First first the one in the little cave up on the top of your island, and then that little prison you have to infiltrate. I utterly hate them. I've, I tried replaying through Twilight... Or through, uh, through Wind Waker probably four times and I would get halfway through that first dungeon and I just got so sick of it I would stop and Twilight Princess or not Twilight Princess Twilight Princess did a fine job of getting you started but then Skyward Sword which gameplay wise was a phenomenal game the intro slash tutorial part of that game where they do all the exposition and kind of introduce you to the world is literally like Two to three hours of just running around talking to people is extremely slow-paced and monotonous. And when I started playing Skyward Sword, I think I got three hours into it and then literally stopped for nine months because I had no interest in playing the game. Zelda, (laughs) the Breath of the Wild, you literally wake up in a shrine and you exit and you're playing the game. There's no person there to tell you what to do there's no fairy throwing dialogue at you and yelling hey listen and telling you where to go you literally walk out of a tomb like shrine and there's the game and you can run around and crawl up stuff and fall off clips and die and get attacked by things and from there you'll eventually meet somebody and kind of get some direction but it is it's on this the within five minutes of turning on that game it's on i don't know ac if you Kind of got that feel, I did. Yeah, I think uh,
1: you say that it is, you know, fundamentally different in terms of gameplay and uh, and even in not so much story because it's always going to be there's going to be a basic Zelda underlying story to these games. But I think uh, in terms of the purity, I think it actually harkens back to the first game a lot because in the first game uh, you. You're not given a whole bunch of exposition. You're not really given any direction. You're just suddenly there. There's like little 8-bit Link and he can kind of wander off and you see a cave. But you don't have to go into the cave. You don't have to get the sword. Yeah, there are people who do complete playthroughs of that game without using the sword at all, I do believe. So you uh. can just go and wander around. And you know, if you happen to find the second temple first, then you know you can probably still do it and even then you need to explore so much to get to the rest of the temples in the first game. And I think um I think there is a purity there that uh that also exists in uh, Breath of the Wild as well. Because you you do I suppose the tutorial plateau, you have to do but you know, after that you've got the entire world and it is a big world. It's absolutely massive. When I first started playing this game, I thought, all right, my my wife and baby daughter are going to come back, you know, in about a month's month or so time from Japan. And I need to finish this game before they come back. Uh, reason <laughs> being is because after they get back and, you know, when you have like a, a 10, 11 month old baby, you're not going to have a whole lot of time for gaming. So I thought, you know, I really, really need to push on and slog through and finish this great game. And that lasted for about a day. I kind of was making my way up to like the the first um the the Zoro uh whatever the it's divine called. beast the divine beast yeah. And then I kind of got halfway through that area and then kind of went back and did a whole bunch of shrines and started exploring and then decided oh I actually want to unlock more of the map and everything like that. So I got distracted even though I told myself I was going to mainline it. Turns out that was a complete lie. And I enjoyed <laughs> exploring the land and the world so much more than I think I actually enjoyed, you know, the story of, you know, of uh, like getting all the divine beasts back under your control.
2: So AC had mentioned that it's kind of the spiritual successor to the first Zelda game. There was an article I read either in like Game Informer or IGN or something like that, that when they were plotting out Breath of the Wild, there is a version of the game in Nintendo proper, we'll never see, that is basically a 2D version, top down version, like old school Zelda, that is Breath of the Wild. How they plotted things out, how they built the map out, how they built the levels. So there is a playable two D version of Breath of the Wild, just like the original Legend of Zelda game. I really wish they'd put that out. I one day.
1: would pay money for that DLC.
2: Oh yeah, that's the DLC <laughs> I care about versus the first half of the DLC coming with this game. Yeah,
1: I don't know. I the, the, the DLC is an interesting beast um, because it like. I don't really feel like going back and and playing hard mode, but I am kind of curious to see where I've been on the map because in the in the DLC apparently it's going to trace where you've been throughout the world and that's I what's mean, cool. Mine is just going to be an insane squiggle of like me like porting for, from here to here to here and and I just kind of want to see where I've been because I know that there are places that I haven't been but because I may have had a couple of drinks when I was playing, I don't really remember <laughs> so well and uh, have I been here? I don't know There's a shrine but maybe I was too cold to be in this area Because that's another uh, factor to this game Is that the environment will you know, actively hurt you And hurt you a lot if you don't take the proper precautions Before you enter that area It's either going to be too hot or too cold Or if it's raining you won't be able to climb the cliff properly
0: yeah, there are a lot of gameplay elements to this game that were not in other Zelda games. For example, you have an inventory of bows, an inventory of swords, and, or weapons, and an inventory of shields. And they can all, and will all, often break. So you can pick up the rusty sword that you found at a shrine. Yay, attack 14! Cool, I'm gonna kill things. Once you've attacked 40 or 50 times with it, it just shatters, and it's gone forever. And then you pick up a spear from a moblin that you fight. Yay, I've got 28 attack. Cool, I'm going to kill things with this. And then 30 or 40 or 50 attacks later, that's been totally shattered. And that literally happens the entire through the entire game, which at first I thought would be super annoying. And it is a little annoying. It but, can be annoying, yeah. But yeah, but because of the controls, they basically have a quick select menu that lets you re-equip items just by holding the right button on the D pad on your left joy-con or left hand and on the right you just slide with your joystick. They also do that with I believe it's shields. Is it shields? Bows and shields, right?
1: Yeah, shields and the uh the the, arrows. the powers as well.
0: And and it's it's interesting what they did with the powers. So in the Zelda games, you do j- typically, in each dungeon, would pick up an item, like the boomerang or the hookshot or a leaf that blows wind, and you can use that to solve a puzzle. In this game, you get basically th- four abilities, and you get them at the very beginning of the game. One freezes time, one uses magnetic powers to move magnetic objects, one's a bomb, and the other is... That's pretty much it, right? The camp stasis. Stasis. Yes, you can stasis freeze.
1: power. Yeah, so it freezes time, or will freeze certain things in place, and then you can hit that object. And when it unfreezes, the kinetic energy will fire it off in whatever direction you uh, you were hitting it in.
0: Yeah, and you get them all at the very beginning of the game, but somehow they're able to utilize the. Oh no, there's the ice power. Totally forgot about the ice oh, power. Oh yeah, yeah, ice power. Is oh yeah,
2: because <laughs> I use that a ton,
0: which is so crazy, and I love. They somehow I don't know how Nintendo did this, but that's that one magical power where it's it's the simplest mechanic in the universe. But just be even though you have these five powers at the start of the game, when you go to dungeons later in the game, you'll be stumped by a puzzle until you remember, oh wait, I have this ability I haven't used in a while. And it feels like this genius Eureka moment that you just remember something that you've literally had the entire game that like, oh, that's the thing I'm supposed to use. Maybe in a way that I haven't used it before, but it still keeps it really fresh. And it it sounds like, oh, there's only five ways to solve puzzles. That's lame. But there's not because A, they do cool things with it and B... Everything you do, and I think at the uh, the heart of why this game is so, so good, is because everything you do does exactly what you expect it to do, and you can do stuff, you can solve puzzles in a way that you're probably not supposed to be able to solve them, but as... I did on a couple. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. And talk about like what that's like.
2: So there's this one puzzle where they drop a ball into a maze, and you have to tilt your controller and kind of guide it through this maze, so that you can dump it into another hole. Now, what I found out is, if you quickly flip your controller upside down, it basically turns that entire maze upside down, so it drops the ball on the backside of the maze, which has no path to guide things through, and you can really just angle it towards the hole you're supposed to drop in. So, it's one of the very early temples I did, so I just did that because I got frustrated trying to navigate through this maze. I was like, oh, hell with this, let's see if it works, and I was like, it worked! So then I started trying to figure out how to cheat other temples. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, and that's the thing. Like,
1: I think the, the motion controls are something interesting to talk about as well, because I, you know, like Nintendo seems to want to force us to have motion controls. It's like we came up with this this idea and we're going to use it till the end of time. <laughs> but we don't really like till the end
2: of time. Oh, and it, it's bad for like the bow and arrow. I had to turn off the motion controls because I couldn't shoot properly with it because I'd start to move a little bit and my bow'd be, whoop and jump across the screen. And that's something that I want to talk about because I didn't, because I was playing with the pro
1: controller, I knew that there were motion controls, but I didn't even figure out that there were motion controls tied to the bow action because usually my, when I'm playing, it's pre, I play pretty stationary, but then sometimes I would be taking a shot using the, um, you know, using the, the right joystick to tie, kind of like line everything up. And then my hand would jerk and I'd miss and I'd go, oh, it must be a crappy bow or something. And it wasn't about until like a couple of hours later that I went, hang on a minute. this is There's motion control on this. Exactly. I didn't know this was connected to the bow. I'm an idiot. But I, I felt like I should have turned it off. But I realized that me going, like, waving my arms around like this in front of enemies was actually a little bit more accurate than using the joystick. So I kept it on, stopped using, like, the joystick to aim all the, altogether, and just actually just kind of used my...
2: did um, the motion controls with my hands in front of the TV, and that seemed to work pretty well. See, I couldn't do that. That threw me off more. I was more accurate using the thumbstick, I found out.
0: Oh, no, no thumbstick for me. I was, I was totally a Joy-Con guy, and I, I thought it was perfect. I, I thought... I mean, in terms of one to one movement, better than the Wii Remote, better than the Wii Re- Motion Plus, better than the Wii U. I mean, I thought it was even with the the kind of broken left Joy-Con, since a lot of that motion control was stationed in the right Joy-Con. I just thought it was was spot on for for me personally. See, I think it'd
2: be fantastic when you're playing the Switch in handheld mode hmm. to use those motion controls because you're just moving the whole system in front of you. But for me when I'm playing with a controller in my hand, if I start to shoot or I'm getting anxious, I'll lean forward in my chair. Mm. When I lean forward, that makes the controller move, and then everything starts jumping around the screen. So it's kind of a muscle memory that I couldn't break, and it was killing me in the game.
1: I think there are some places where it's really good. Like, I actually found it really useful for when I was aiming my arrows, but then there are other things, like when you're meant to be aiming your magnesis, and then, if because there are different ways that you need to pull and push uh, different objects, and... It needs to be a lot more precise in some ways. And when motion control is kind of added for that... And kind of everything jumps around the screen a bit... I found that a little bit more annoying with some of the powers. So I think it can be really good in some places. And then it's just... If you forget you have it for other things... You kind of like their inaccuracy can creep in. And I... Yeah, I just... There were some puzzles in the shrines where you needed to do that. And I had the same experience as Chris... Where you were meant to guide uh, guide the ball through the maze, and I, what I, instead of flipping it over, I just flipped it like not over, but just up in the air, and then it would land just. In the hole next to where the you know the maze exit basically, so you can still do that. But there was one puzzle where the, where you had to get three balls into three slots, and no matter how I flipped it or no matter how I tried to do it, the motion controls just didn't seem to move the way I wanted it to do. So I just gave up on that entire temple and just left and went. Ah, this is this is the con- motion controls are stupid in this case.
0: Also, motion controls get a little confused while your plane is taxiing around. Oh, okay. I can oh, yeah. see that too. Yeah, I can imagine that. That definitely, my arrow aim was quite bad when we were just pulling onto the runway. Like really, really bad. But other than that, and I did use the joystick for the magnet. It's so strange. I could, I could do the arrows, the bow and arrow perfectly with motion control, but using the magnet power, I almost always had to use the joystick. Don't know yeah. why. So... We're jumping around a little bit, but I mean, the motion control is a big part of it, and the, the non-linearity is a big part of it. So what Nintendo does with this is they, they say, okay, look, we're not going to have temples or dungeons in the traditional sense. We're going to have shrines, and a shrine is basically one major puzzle or a short series of puzzles, maybe three or four, or maybe it's just a mini boss that you fight. Yeah, the combat challenges. Combat challenge, right? Some of those are brutal, too. Yeah, Yeah, some of them are quite... When you get to the
1: major test of strength Mm -hmm. towards the end of the game and you've got to use your powers in conjunction with uh, actually fighting these guys, that's when it can get a little bit insane.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. So these shrines are all over the map and some you can see from the top of these towers that you can kind of look out. You can mark them on your map and kind of head towards them. Others are hidden pretty well. Others are hidden really well. There's one hint I got from someone in a town that said something like, when you stand on a certain tower in the shadow of the moon and you loosen arrow towards the sun, then the way will be open towards you. And I'm like, I have no idea what the hell you're talking about. (laughs) I am never going to find this shrine. I just did that shrine, like, within the last week
2: or two, and I remember I got, it's on the top of a tower, you talk to someone who's on the top of the tower, so you unlock it, they tell you that. And I was looking around, and I said, what is this little weird piece of land sitting on the side of the mountain? And I went down there, I said, something's gotta pop out of here. And I was like, but it's like night. So I actually lit a fire, stayed there until about noontime, and then just randomly fired an arrow at the sun like they talked about as it was going by the tower, and then all of a sudden this shrine pops out of the ground. I was like... Holy crap <laughs> this was actually legit. I was just trying this because I didn't know what to do
1: <laughs> yeah see I haven't done that one but there is a similar one in high up in the mountains when it's really really cold and you can only be there if you've got like if you're near a fire or if you've got like special armor that will uh, allow you to be in cold places for long periods but basically you have to hold up and this is at a pre- pretty precise like 4 pm when the sun is going down you have to hold up a snowball in front of the end like in front of the circle on the side of a hill and the the snowball that you're holding up has to line up with the hole precisely for a couple of seconds as the sun is going down and then the shrine will appear and i must have tried that about five times to get it right because there's a trick you can do and um and this, this is a little hint for you out there, that if you don't have the correct armor or the correct gear to go out into the cold, if you have a flame sword, that will keep you warm in cold places. Right. So, yeah, if you have a big fire sword, equip it and you can run through. You are still, you know, and you'll, you'll be kept just above level of freezing. However, if you pick up something like a snowball, it will pretty gradually melt. And I didn't realize this until, like, it was like, oh, come on, why (laughs) can't this be bigger a couple of minutes? Oh, the flame sword is melting everything.
0: Okay, so this is what I'm talking about with, with this. Everything that has an effect on the environment affects it in the exact way that it logically would affect the environment. This isn't like other games where you can shoot a fire arrow at a wooden door, but it's Resident Evil and you're not supposed to open that door. So nothing will happen. Like, no, in this game, that door will light on fire and burn away.
2: Yeah, Yeah, like Cody's talking about, everything has a consequence in this game. And some of the worst ones, at least for me, is lightning storms, because if you have (laughs) anything metal equipped, you start to see arcs of electricity on your character and you're like, oh, I better unequip everything real quick. And I ran into something by accident that I did when this happened is I was fighting this one guy. There was a lightning storm that was arcing on me. So instead of unequipping, I threw my sword at the bad guy. The lightning came down and hit my sword. It has feet at his feet and killed him. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. This is so cool. <laughs>
0: yeah. It's it's that attention to detail. Because, yeah, you do get struck by lightning if you have anything metal equipped. And the fact that you can literally throw it and guide a lightning strike at an enemy, I mean, it because, again, it's like, okay, well, logically, if my character's wearing metal, it gets, it attracts lightning. If I throw the thing that's metal, it still attracts lightning. All of the logic is so perfectly consistent. If you use a fire rod and a torch, the torch will light up. if If you... I mean, if you just do anything, if if you're using a shock arrow on something, it's going to electrocute it every time. It's I can't even like come up with the best examples because it's so ubiquitous.
2: I wish I could say I was thinking it out when I threw that sword, but I was just in a panic because I didn't <laughs> want to die. So I threw the sword and then saw that happen. I was like, "Huh, son of a gun!"
1: <laughs> I think it was, some of this comes in handy in shrines when you you know when you can't quite get the puzzle right for whatever reason so there is one where you have to light all the flames on each side of basically a cube but there is kind of water running down and it will keep putting out the fire so instead of finding the exact combination of turning the cube this way this way this way forward back side rotate three times it's basically like a mini rubik's cube you just equip a fire arrow and just light them all at the same time mm-hmm without having to move it around and that shrine done. I didn't need to use my problem solving abilities because I used my fire arrow brawn instead.
0: Yeah. Works for me. Yeah. So, so that's, I think where this game hits a sweet spot is that it hits all levels of difficulty at once. So if you're somebody who loves puzzles and doing really obscure, difficult puzzles, first of all, I think that the number one tip before playing this game is do not read anything about it. Do not look at guides. Do not listen to this podcast. Just kidding. You can listen to this podcast. Because <laughs> we're just we're just giving some high-level stuff. But, but really, the shrines that we talked about, some of these really obscure puzzles where you have to hold something a certain way at a certain place, and you have to find that place first, or to loosen arrow at the right spot, which, again, you have to find that right spot. There are clues, sometimes really obscure clues, that will lead you to these To to solving these puzzles, but you still have to figure it out. So on one hand, there are extremely difficult puzzles that will reward you really, really handsomely if you figure them out. And on the other hand, the game isn't so rigid that it says, here is the one way to solve this problem. You must do this way. The game allows you some leeway so that If you don't know how to solve a dungeon the quote unquote intended way, but you can be clever enough to figure out a way to do it, losing a fire arrow, maybe not necessarily the most advanced version of that, but there are other temples where you can use a bomb instead of a magnet, or you can use the stasis thing instead of the magnet, or you can freeze water instead of doing something else. So there's so many variations on how to do it. That it offers this really rewarding level to where if you get really frustrated, you don't have to do this really advanced stuff. You can go to some of the easier stuff or maybe find alternatives. And again, with the heat stuff, if you don't have the, the high priced cold resistant armor to climb mountains, bring a fire sword with you. Or just take your shirt off if you're in the desert so that you don't get overheated. You could just unequip your... Or eat a
2: bunch of peppers if you're in the mountains. Yeah, exactly.
0: Or eat a bunch of food that you can cook. So it's a very deep game that just has so many possibilities. It's just this giant open slate. And I've put, I said, around 60-some hours into it. And I beat it. But I've only done... I mean, I I think I'm about the same as you, AC. I've got maybe a row of hearts plus two, I think. Yep. Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah, and <laughs> there's so much content in this game, it's stupid. After
1: I finished it, I thought, wow, I had done uh, 82 shrines, or and I think I've done a further two or three since then, and there are 120 shrines. I've opened up the entire map, I've done all of the main quest, including the memories, so you get the proper ending. Oh, nice! And uh, after all of that... I had only done 19.43% of the entire game, which means that there are so many more side quests that, you know, some of which will open up more shrines, some of which will give you more armor, and there are 900 kokoro (laughs) seeds. I've 900 damn it and i found about 30 korok seeds right korok korok what did i say korok
0: you said kokomo which is a small town (laughs) in indiana shout out to my friend kelly chris how about you how are you doing on the korok did you know there's 900
2: yes i did just because of some of the interviews i'd read i've
0: probably got 40 maybe 35 40 yeah so the korok seeds are the icing on the cake um I'm actually going to, to play a little inside ball here and tell you guys a little story you may, you may not have known. I'm taking an improv class right now at the Annoyance Theater in Chicago. And my teacher has a master's in education. She's really good at teaching, not, not only just knowing improv and being good at it, but she's a good teacher and she understands how to teach stuff. And in our first class, she explained one of the fundamentals of improv and of comedy is patterns the difference between a really good improviser and a really okay improviser is patterns. If you do something on stage and you bring it back a couple of times, that creates a rapport with the audience And it creates a character. Like on Mad TV, the girl that's like, he looked like a man. Her her saying that over and over again, you know that's her line. Uh, Saturday Night Live, The Night at the Roxbury guys, them bouncing their heads back and forth. You know that's their character. They do it over and over again. It's good. And what she said was that was interesting to me was that human beings are programmed to love patterns. So even if you don't think a certain thing is funny, if you're seeing an improv show or you're watching a show and there's a character that does a certain thing and kind of repeats that, humans are apparently hardwired to enjoy patterns and get uh, kind of a little dopamine burst out of patterns. So anytime you see a design, uh, there's some subreddits that are dedicated to just seeing mildly satisfying patterns where, you know, something's missing from from a a design. And once you insert it there, it's really perfect. So what the Legend of Zelda games have done is and they've done this a lot of times, is there will be places where you can complete a pattern. Let's say there's a circle of stones on a field somewhere. If you put a stone in, there's one stone missing. There's 10 stones and, and one's missing. If you put a stone in that hole, that finishes the pattern. And that's kind of mentally gratifying. So. This is, all the, this is all the preface. I just wanted to give that background for some psychology nerds out there. Didn't think you'd learn something legit on this podcast, did you? You were so wrong. So what they do in The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is you see some of these familiar patterns out in the wild. Let's say there's a tree stump that's kind of hollow in the top with a ball and chain attached to it. Take the magnet, bring that ball up and put it neatly in that little tree stump or Fill that rock, you know, you see a rock nearby, a circle of rocks, put that rock in the missing rock, it it completes the thing. When you do any of these things to complete the pattern, your little brain is happy, and you think, "Ah, I did this thing to make my brain happy. What also happens is, a little forest elf gnome thing, a Korok, pops out, makes a cute little sound effect, which my fiancé loved, she thinks they're the most adorable things in the <laughs> world. They make a little haha sound effect and they give you a Korok seed, which you can later exchange with a Korok to expand your inventory so you can carry more breakable weapons and breakable shields and breakable bows. Why this I is... gotta ask, at this point, yeah. when you saw one the first time, did you try and kill it? <laughs> like did you think
1: <laughs>
2: can I just drop the rock back on its head? You know, I tried, it just bounced.
1: Yeah, he goes, ow, and does a little ow. cute dance And I went, okay, I'm going to do that every time Are now. you
2: part Australian, Chris? It was not on purpose the first time Instead of throwing the rock, I dropped the rock So it just dropped straight on the guy's head And went <laughs> and bounced off of him And then from that point, I was like, okay, that's funny
1: That should be part of New Game Plus You have to go around, collect all the seeds And then kill all the little All the little dudes giving them to you cause to they make can sure, sure they, they don't won. steal
2: those seeds again <laughs> We'll stop them right now <laughs> Well, this took a dark turn, <laughs> a very dark turn. <laughs> like,
1: but there's 900 of them. Like, oh, I, I i kept finding them by accident more than design because I would just explore areas and they go, oh, there is a single rock here on the top of this very high peak. There's got to be something under here. And I think I know what it is. It's like, oh, I hate you so much. Mm-hmm. Why couldn't something valuable be up here?
0: Yeah, I, I sometimes wish the rewards were a little better, but it's nice to know that they dropped all these little things everywhere in the game. And by mm. all these little, I mean literally 900 plus the 120 shrines. And this game is in every way satisfying because every shrine, if you, like, if you want to do a puzzle, do the shrine. If you don't feel like doing a puzzle and you want to keep exploring, just go up to the little shrine console and... It immediately becomes a teleportable location on your map, so you can fast travel there at any point. If I don't feel like doing a puzzle or I get stumped, I just exit that little shrine. I can go there anytime immediately. Keep going. All these little Korok seed things are just 900 little pattern-completing, brain-satisfying dopamine bursts that you've got. And then on top of that, there are four divine beasts, these giant monsters, that you are tasked with kind of defeated. This isn't really a spoiler because they're outlined pretty early in the game, but these four divine Mm -hmm. beasts that you can kind of infiltrate and, and take over, turn away from Ganon's control. And they are basically mini dungeons where you have to solve a series of puzzles, fight a couple enemies, and then fight a really major mini boss. So it gives you the full dungeon experience. So this game gives you all of the good things that every Zelda game has done removed any need to do it in any order at all and totally let you loose and then multiplied it by about 10 times i think and it works so well for the game as well because
1: you can basically kind of do whatever you want in whatever order you want and i i think i actually did it in the if the game does have some sort of order that it wants you to do things i think i would have done it in that order, because I went and did the fish people first. Yeah, the 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 fish people, Zoros or whatever they're Zor- called,
0: Zora, Zoro, is Antonio Banderas. Zoro
1: sounds better to me. <laughs> they, they they were all such like colourful, fun and enthusiastic characters, and there you is can all- do it. <laughs> yeah. I believe in you. <laughs> Yeah, wait, totally and the way that that uh, the prince guy like flashes you a smile and you know puts the puts his fist across his chest and goes "That's oh, We totally got this link." Yeah, and there was already so much deviant art about uh you know shipping those two characters. <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was magnificent. And you know it it just gives each area has such a great personality and difference to it as well. That it makes you think oh, I can't like you know I'm finished with these characters and they'll they'll still be over the map a little bit and you can still run into them, but you know each each one is just so um so unique in their in their culture as well, like all of the the gorons call you brother and i don't know much about um wrestling but apparently wrestlers or some wrestlers like to call you brother hulk hogan or, yeah i think that's the guy oh I, it is wrestling wasn't that popular here in australia i think which is kind of weird cuz it well it's huge in japan <laughs> yeah it is it it's but it's very different in japan as well like uh yes it's it's not like they have storylines and stuff like that, but it's kind of more about the act of wrestling and, and less of the storyline. Whereas I knew nothing about wrestling, and then someone forced me to watch some WW something F or E or, or W's. I don't know. Maybe they're the three W's. But what happened was, someone, the storyline was that this thing match got so ridiculous that someone gave birth to a glove.
0: <laughs> and I just went.
1: This I remember is this that entertainment
0: one. to you people? What? They showed you the 80-year-old Mae Young giving birth to a hand. I I have no idea what was going on. But there was
1: a glove and this person <laughs> gave disgusting. birth to it, and I was just like going, what and this is a storyline. This is this is what you watch for entertainment. Right. Okay. I think I've got the measure of wrestling here. People call each other brother, and it's always leg day and arm day, and that's it. And
2: there are gloves. Don't forget the twenty-seven inch pythons. <laughs>
0: Uncle Stebo would be proud. We have somehow degenerated into talking about pro wrestling, even without him. How in the hell does this always happen? I mean, I know, it's, I know I'm on the podcast, so it'll happen, but I didn't even bring it up this time.
1: <laughs> I, just, I think it's just, That's what those Goron guys reminded me, because they always call you brother, and they say it in this kind of raspy, kind of deep voice. That's
0: fair. So you started with the Zora. Yeah. I started with the Rito, the bird people. That was ah, the f- really? so. What did you do, Chris? I went to the Gerados first. Uh- <laughs> 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 of course you did. So literally, all three of us, out of four Divine Beasts, all three of us did a different one first. And that's really awesome. But I do want to I gotta ask Chris, the kind of tutorial area, right, the first area is the Great Plateau. It's, it's in the center of the map. And then once you've completed that and you get the glider, you can go north, south, east, west. You can go any direction off to whatever area you want, and explore it. Now, when I got the leaf, I was like, all right, cool, I'm done with the Great Plateau. I grabbed a couple other little Korok seeds, completed a couple little patterns to make my brain happy, maybe did a shrine that was sitting there, but then I was kind of out of there. I believe you loitered, if I'm not mistaken. I
2: loitered for a little bit, because I wasn't sure what else to go do, but then... After staying about another hour or two on the plateau after I had unlocked everything and could leave, I went, "I want
0: to go get a horse and went to go get a horse. You've both talked a bit about wanting to explore and just explore and and I was the same as you hmm. a c It was like, okay, I'm on my way to do something, but what's that on that hill over there oh wait what's what's that in that valley over there? Oh, what's that patch of grass? Oh, what's in that cave and then suddenly you're running all over, and six hours later you're still you you're like, "Wait, where was I going again and Yep, been there. For me, yep. this happened by accident, but I 100% recommend it of anybody that's going to pick up the game. Literally, first five minutes of the game, I just went in the controls and, and I'm, I'm looking at the options, heads up display, normal or pro or something like that. And I, I was just like, I'm a pro, so turn it on. What I didn't realize I did was I turned off everything but your hearts. So literally the only information you get about Link at all is the hearts in the top left corner. And I will tell you, I read this in one written review, and I will agree with it. I was fully immersed the entire time. And, I mean, I'm sure neither of you found it distracting because you were used to it at some point. But for me, Mm. just having the hearts and... I did have to pause the game a little more often because there's no mini map either. So I have to check the map once in a while to make sure I'm going in the right direction. You know, if I'm starting to go one way and I veer off, am I going the right way? But the menus are so fast, it didn't slow me down significantly. And I liked having that clean heads up display. And I'll tell you, for me for me personally, just the immersion was like really, really great. So maybe maybe after beating the game, one of you guys wants to try it out. Just give it a shot for a bit. And I mean, Link will hug himself if he's cold. He'll start to sweat and pant, and you'll start to lose hearts if he's too hot. So there are a lot of visual indicators that'll show you kind of what's going on, even without the heads-up
2: display. See, the biggest thing for me that is a crutch is that mini-map, and that would be the hardest thing for me to lose. And hmm. it's probably just something you have to get used to, so... I might give it a shot just to just to see because I'm not a Zelda noob. I'm a Zelda pro like Cody.
0: Yeah. And again, (laughs) that was mildly annoying. I did have to open the map somewhat regularly, but uh, I I enjoyed having that minimal display. I can see why people would want to do that.
1: Uh, Like, as I said, I'm a retro gamer, so I usually, (laughs) you, you know, I mean, retro games don't give you a lot of help, but I don't also play a lot of modern games, especially open world games like this. So. Getting used to the controls and having, like, having to use not only every, you know, all 163 buttons on the damn pro controller, <laughs> including motion controls and including every different possible combination of 163 buttons. But I had to kind of get used to the way the world works and get my bearings. And in real life, I have no sense of direction <laughs> at all none and if I wasn't paying attention to the map and thank god you can put those you can put markers on the map to say go this way because if I ever lost sight of the tower I would find that I would just suddenly for whatever reason start going in the opposite direction I'd go okay <laughs> I need to go to that tower to activate it and then wait I've been in this area before like you know two days ago or well, oh damn it so I kind of needed that information but I would like to play it without any of the hard information just to see what would happen to me can you, can you get rid of the hearts as well? Like, can you? <laughs> I, I don't, so you don't even know how much life
0: you've got? Like, just be worrying all the time. Oh my God, am I almost dead? Maybe in hard mode. That would but,
2: be awesome.
0: <laughs> um, and Quinn977 in the chat, which we are broadcasting live on YouTube, 163 mm. buttons are too much. <laughs> Agreed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. They need to eliminate
1: at least two of those buttons. 161 I can handle. 163, pff, I'm out. I was always I I mastered all the controls Except when I needed to go to the menu What always confused me is the plus and minus buttons Minus would go to map Plus would always go to Inventory and quests and then I'd always want to go look at the quests or something further along to change my weapons because you're always in the food section of your inventory. But the way my brain works is I need to go left. So I'd press the map button and go, no, no, no. I need to go right, then press the left trigger to go over there. So I was forever pressing the wrong button in, and bringing up the
2: map. I yeah. still do that. Yeah, I do it all the yeah, time.
0: Yeah, I, I think the literally the only improvement control wise I would possibly have recommended is maybe just combine those menus so you can hit L or R to go across the full threshold and select would shortcut to the map and start and plus would well, yeah minus would go to the map plus would go to your inventory, but whatever. If you hit the wrong one, you just hit the other one. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. This like it still pauses the game, so it's no detriment to you really.
1: I think, though, one of one of the big FUs... I, I don't think we're allowed to swear on this podcast. <laughs> I swear all the time on my own. Uh, one of the big FUs Nintendo did was... Uh, obviously, this game was originally started to be designed for the Wii U. And that inventory would have been so damn useful on the Wii U gamepad. Because you would have had a second screen. And that's obviously what it would have been designed for. Hmm. And I think Nintendo really should have included that for the Wii U version rather than just make it a duplicate of the Switch version. Because, like, you had all of these people who were loyal to the Wii U, and the game did come out for Wii U, but it was obviously the Switch version of it. They obviously changed it up so that it wasn't, you know, dual-screen compatible at some point. And I really wish that they'd kept that functionality for the Wii U as a thank you to, you know, the two-and-a-half people who actually bothered to buy their Wii U console. And, like, just kind of putting it out there going, oh, yeah, you can have this, I guess you know, but we don't care about you guys anymore, it was, it was kind of a kind of a bit, you know, a dickish move on Nintendo's part, I think.
2: So it was originally announced as a Wii U game, what, like four years ago, Breath of the Wild? And then as we got closer to the, the new generation being the Switch, they eventually decided we're going to move that over to be a launch game there. So I think AC's right. I think there was a lot of stuff inventory-wise that would have been perfect for that Wii U controller. But I think mm. Nintendo looked at numbers and went, you know... We don't have a lot of Wii U's out there. We, we're we banking big on this Nintendo Switch. Let's build towards that. I mean, and that's probably why you sometimes see that it actually ran a little smoother on the Wii U at times than it did on the Nintendo Switch. Hmm. I think, I agree. For, from a business standpoint, I think Nintendo, you know,
1: made the right decision there. However, like, can you, because there are so many Zelda nerds out there that if you made a slightly different version for the Wii U... People Zelda nerds, probably would have bought both. They probably would have gone out and bought a Wii U to have this slightly different, possibly slightly more functional copy of Zelda for the Wii U. And I think, you know, it's just just having the same version was just kind of a bit,
2: I don't know,
1: it just it just feels disingenuous
2: a little bit to me, I think. It reminded me a lot of Twilight Princess when that came out for both the GameCube and the yeah. Wii at the same time and the only difference is that the GameCube version was a mirror image of what you got on the Wii?
1: It was flipped because of the because Link is left-handed uh, in right. all of the games, but when you use motion controls, of course, most people are right-handed, so they had to had to switch that over for that.
0: We have to address the elephant in the room, which is not everything about this game is really perfect, although it is Ooh. exceptionally good. I absolutely, and this this is I hate to say this because. For years, people would say, why is there no voice acting in Zelda? Why does every other game I play have voice acting except the Legend of Zelda games? And they'll keep the silent protagonist. Sure, Link can be silent. But why doesn't Zelda talk? Why doesn't Ganon talk? Why don't all these other people talk? So this is the first Zelda game where they put in full-on voice acting. And why did they cast who they cast? I hate these voices. They are all terrible. Zelda sounds like a 70-year-old woman. At best, Zelda sounds like Cersei Lannister, who is definitely in her late 40s to early 50s. She is way over dramatic. It is overacted. Her voice is like a tenor when she is a soprano in every game she's ever had any voice acting in. The Goron is bad. The Rito, just I want to punch in the face. He's like a bad version of Falco Lombardi. The guy, the old. Oh, I can't unsee that now. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, I'm sorry, but every single line that is spoken, I find reprehensibly bad. And maybe I'm being a little rough on it, but oh my God, I have not heard a game miss the mark this badly since Ninja Gaiden 3. That's a lot for anyone who's ever heard my <laughs> podcast before. So I'm sure no one on earth feels as strongly about this as me. I'll let you two chime in. Chris, will start with you because AC is still laughing. It, it, it wasn't the best voice acting out
2: there, but I've, I've heard worse I think or it's just the the sheen of the game hasn't worn off and I'm just like I don't care I want to go explore something else shut up and stop talking yes shut up and
0: stop stop talking my thoughts exactly (laughs) I expected to walk into Hyrule and hear Zelda say don't open that door Resident Evil 2 reference (laughs) I think like when you say it's fully voice acted I don't think
1: that's necessarily true like a lot of all the cutscenes are of course Fully voice acted But when you talk to people You won't hear them You know Enunciate Everything they say They'll often have like A ho ho Or mm-hmm Or ee. So okay. they make sound effects Yeah Especially when you're selling something They go oh. And I kind of liked that Like when when you try and sell like uh, Precious stones or something And you know To one of the, to make some money Get you know uh, To buy armor or whatever They'll go, oh,
0: ooh,
1: and I kind of like that. They go, ah, oh, and then they're disappointed. Oh, okay,
0: but, you have but to go they've always now. done that in the Zelda games, so that's always been yeah, well done, But I think. Like,
1: yeah, I think that sounds fine. I, the, I don't think their voice acting bothered me as much. Uh, I'm just glad that they went for... Like Zelda, it was not right But I'm just glad they had a British accent for that Because an American, no offence guys, wouldn't have worked and An Australian accent would have been the absolute worst <laughs> Yeah, I eh, love You don't suppose you can pop over the castle and save me, eh? maybe you bring some sanders with ya?
0: That'd
2: be amazing
1: They should have used my queen voice Yes, if Link would like to come and save me now That would be actually quite a special event for me Oh my god, that may have been better. Don't,
0: didn't you get the Japanese <laughs> Switch though? Can, don't you listen to Japanese voices? I can. I
1: but okay. So my Japanese isn't fluent, uh, and I didn't get the the Japanese version of Zelda because the the Switch is finally Nintendo did something right and made it region free. Mm. Finally, uh, I have big big problems about that. I have have published articles insulting nintendo face to face (laughs) about how like it's just such a a primitive concept um region locking which they even did with the 3ds stupid reason but uh i did not get the japanese version of that because it would take me much like twice as long to play because i have to go through all of All of the dialogue, I'd have to read everything, I'd have to listen to everything twice Mm -hmm. just to make sure I got all of the elements. My reading, I can read, but it's slow, and i have to translate words along the way and everything like that. So I just went for the English version, and everyone goes, Oh, I just wish they had the Japanese version with English subtitles. Now, to be fair, that probably would have been a bit better. But what you got to understand is that if you don't understand Japanese, it might look much better, but sometimes Japanese voice acting ain't all that.
0: Sometimes it's not that great either. Are you talking about how the voices sound or the actual acting? Both.
1: I've seen a bit it, it doesn't f- if you've seen any of the uh the Japanese Zelda Like I think that the voices are a little bit more standardized And they they sound quite different But at the same time They seem to miss a lot of the emotional cues to me Um, Obviously like people think that you record voices And then you animate afterwards But Japanese have a tendency And I'm assuming this is how they did it Of animating first Then adding the voices second Hmm. And that happens in animation and games Why you would do it that way around I have no idea, but, uh, it's, it's basically, uh, standard industry practice over there for whatever reason. And I looking and listening to the, um, the Japanese version of the voice acting, I don't think it's that great either. It's probably better. And you can probably, you can probably say, this is a Japanese game. I'll listen to the Japanese, but really I'll just be reading the subtitles underneath. That might be better too, because it, you know, was probably made for the for the Japanese voices in the first instance, but, uh, you know, who knows how much effort they went into localizing. Maybe they did change it up a bit.
2: All I know is it's better than hearing, hey, listen, all the time.
0: kudasai, kudasai. Ne ne, So, I don't know how this is in Australia, but in America, and I don't know, Chris, if you watch any anime, maybe it's different in your neck of the woods, but in the Midwest here in good old northern Illinois, all my friends and I... And a lot of the people I know, it's pretty much gospel that when you're watching anime, you watch Japanese voices with English subtitles. 99% of the time, unless it's Cowboy Bebop, is pretty much the one that it, there's a there's a consensus that the English voice actors are the best. Is that the way you're used to it, Chris, too? or
2: So I'm not a huge anime guy, but I've had friends that watch a lot of anime, and most of what they watch is the um, English Subtitles, and occasionally they'll watch something that's dubbed over if they can't get those subtitles. Okay, but the default is subtitles.
0: So is it different in Australia? Do they usually do no. just the
1: dub? No, it, it's subtitles for the most part as well. Um, there are a couple of exceptions. Uh, I think, like for me, of course, it's different. I will always watch with subtitles. Dubs for the most part drive me mad because in the early days of anime, and I think I might—I'm like thirty-six years old, so I remember anime from the nineties. There were only like a couple of people who voiced basically 90% of anime. So you kept hearing the same dubs over and over again in the in the English VHS copies that you used to get. And as soon as subtitled anime came out on the internet, you went, "Oh my god, this is so much better." Mm. Because the original dub voices they got for the VHS tapes way 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 back when weren't weren't that great to be honest. But I think the exceptions to the rule, at least in my opinion, are um, Neon Genesis Evangelion. I think that is on par with the... um, And in some cases better. Like I think Oscar's voice actor, who actually speaks German in English, is better Hmm. than the Japanese voice actress. And I've actually met the Japanese voice actress as well. She was in Sydney doing a talk on something. All right,
0: enough of the Evangelion podcast. I know you you once recorded a four-hour Evangelion (laughs) podcast you keep, you keep pronouncing it Evangelion, and I'll come up there and kick your ass.
2: <laughs> Ooh, do it, Cody. Keep saying it.
0: <laughs> I'll do it just to get you up to, my, to, to crash my wedding. <sighs> I... <laughs> I really wish I could do that. I really wish You've I got could the actually date. come up there. I'm, and just... I'm, I'm calling your bluff. <laughs> I mean, i would be able to talk to
1: you for all of two minutes because it's a wedding. But... Yeah, that's the thing. I'd probably spend most of my time hanging around Uncle Stabo.
0: Actually, no, I wouldn't even be able to do that because he's in your wedding party, isn't he? Oh, God. Yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't want to do that anyway. His wife is lovely. <laughs> my wife is going to be lovely, too. <laughs> <laughs> is going to be lovely she's not going to be lovely until she becomes my wife oh uh, wow we got derailed we have been going a while and it is mm-hmm. a friday night chris probably wants to at least play some games or do something and i know you have a podcast to get to but any last thoughts anything we didn't cover about breath of the wild i, th- I think overall i think it, it it is the best zelda game probably in terms of I mean, value, like replayability, you don't even need to replay it. Getting through all the content for the first time will take you longer than any Zelda game in the best way, so... I cannot recommend this game enough. It is excellent. I will be playing it for months, which is good because not a whole lot else is coming out on the Switch for that's several true. months, but it is it is probably the best game in the Zelda series that I can think of. So, Cody, you're right.
2: Replayability is going to be huge on this. I mean, 900 Core Oxies. They looked at Rock and and said, huh, those 250 Riddler trophies, we're going to beat that. <laughs> I mean, that's what it felt like to me. Uh, for me, great game. It's a system seller for the Switch. Is the exact reason why I bought one. I said, eventually, I'll get Mario. When Mario Odyssey comes out, Mm. I have loved it. Now that I'm back from Mass Effect Andromeda, I keep bouncing back and forth between Mario Kart and Zelda Breath of the Wild. Now, for me, while I love Breath of the Wild, it's still not my favorite Zelda game. Mm. That's still a toss-up between A Link to the Past and Ocarina of Time for me.
0: I don't think anyone's going to, like, oh, how could you like Ocarina of Time the best? One of the literally highest rated games of all time. Yeah,
2: exactly. <laughs> I, I just quoted, like, the some of the three highest rated games of all time are, like, Link to the Past, Ocarina of Time, and Breath of the Wild, probably. So nobody can really argue those mm-hmm. points, I don't
1: think. I'd say this is probably my favorite Zelda game. Uh, I haven't played through all of them, but I have played through most of the retro ones. I still have just such a fondness in my heart for, uh, Link's Awakening for the original Game Boy, just because, like, it was, it was portable, it was playable, it was unforgettable in a lot of ways. It didn't even have Zelda in it, it didn't even need it, but I just, I, I just have a special place in my heart, but in terms of actual gameplay and everything, this is the greatest Zelda game, uh, I, it is a system seller, I agree. Uh, I think the Switch will have a lot going for it. Um, But it had a a stronger launch than a lot of other Nintendo systems. Like, even the 3DS you think is a runaway success now. But when they launched it, like, it was too expensive and they had to have an ambassador program to, you know, to placate the people who overspent after they dropped the price on it. And, you know, they were given a whole bunch of GBA games and stuff like that. So I uh, I think it's a fantastic game. I think everyone should play it. I will... I will finish on asking the question, will you be buying the DLC or have you already
0: bought the DLC and waiting for it to come out? So yeah, the first DLC is a hard mode, which I have no interest at all in playing. It just... Mm, Me too. There are parts of this game that are extremely challenging. There are still regular enemies that kill me. There are mini bosses that kill me that I haven't been able to defeat yet. And there's a lot of challenge already in here. Plus, I don't feel the need to restart the game. Hard mode is something that should have been in the game
2: itself, not necessarily as DLC. The the first half of the DLC we're getting here, that's crap no one's going to care about. The second half where they're going to put in more story missions and more shrines and things like that, that's the important thing. I mean, for 20 bucks, it's probably worth it. I mean
1: you have to buy both dlc don't you like you have to buy number one and number two you can't just buy the second DLC. right you
2: pack. pay 20 bucks you get both dlc packages yeah. it, hmm. that's how it works and the first stuff that comes out like cody said is a hard mode ac you mentioned earlier the map tracking is going to get dropped in then and yeah. then there's also a uh, a challenge mode kind of like a horde mode you get in fps is almost where you have to Kill waves and waves of enemies with weapons you pick up, and supposedly at the end of that, it then supercharges the Master Sword for you so that the Master Sword is permanently in its charged state like it would be against any of Ganon's uh, forms. Hmm. Hmm. I'm kind of intrigued because I love the Master Sword.
0: So you're a yes, Chris?
2: I haven't bought it yet. I probably will, but probably... Once I actually beat most of the story and things like that, I'll consider it. I mean, there's no DLC out yet, so I'm not going to throw down my money immediately because I can throw it down the day it comes
0: out if I decide I want it. I gotcha. I'm at an interesting junction in my video game career because I've been sucked into my first massively multiplayer online RPG, Final Fantasy XIV, and... Here we go again with the Final Fantasy XIV. To be honest, the only reason I beat Zelda was because I had plane trips to and from San Francisco and Minneapolis. Literally, if I hadn't had those trips, I probably wouldn't have beaten the game yet because all I do is play Final Fantasy XIV. And there's a new expansion, Stormblood, coming out June 20th. And I'm not even at level 60, the current level cap, and I haven't beaten the first DLC, the first expansion content. So I'm going to try to plow through that in the next month and then have Stormblood and then plow through that. Honestly, Final Fantasy XIV will likely be the only game that I play for the next three to five months, if not longer. And I mean, pretty much the only game. Maybe if I really tired I'll bust out a run of Rogue Legacy or if a friend's online I'll play Risk of Rain or maybe I'll occasionally play Zelda if I'm in bed or on the train or something but I'm at a very mono gaming stage in my gaming life right now um so because of that I I don't see myself getting the DLC I haven't purchased anything I get alerts that oh an item on your Steam wishlist on sale it's only $3 and I literally have been saying I will not play this, so I'm not going to buy this. So, I'm at a weird point, and for that reason, I'm not going to be buying the Zelda DLC in the foreseeable future, but if the reviews come out and the shrines are really cool... I mean, the other thing is I've only done half the shrines in the game. So, it becomes one of those things of, like, do I need an extra 20 or 30 or 40 or 10 shrines if I still have half the game's content in front of me? Probably doesn't make much sense. So especially at $20, I'm probably going to hold off on it. Yeah, so
2: the decider for me really comes down to is what the second half of the DLC looks like. I don't care as much about the first half of the DLC, so I'll probably wait and see what's coming with the second half and then make that decision. But to be honest, I'm kind of similar to what you've described, Cody. At this point, I kind of gravitate to one game and just play it until I'm done with it. I mean, like I said, I was playing Zelda, but then I had to go to Mass Effect. I didn't stop playing Mass Effect until I beat it, and now I'm back to Zelda And I started Mario Kart just because I picked it up. But Mario Kart's kind of become my go-to right now because I can play for 10, 15 minutes when I get home from work or when I've got some time, and then I can put it down and be good. Zelda, it's tough for me to do that because I get sucked in. I'm like, oh, where'd these three hours go? Mm -hmm. I love it, but I can't do that during the week as much. I
1: think I agree with the two of you as well. Like, I'm not in a rush to go out and buy it, and it's the second part which, you know, gives you more game. Uh, But who knows where you're going to be. Like, right now, I love Zelda and I want to play more Zelda, especially more story elements of Zelda. But, you know, when this finally comes out, however many months it is down the track, I may have moved on completely. And I'm like, oh, Zelda, oh yeah, I used to love that game, you know, six months ago or whatever. And I just... Really would prefer to see what it's like before I jump in, I think. Because, like, I mean, I being a retro gamer, the great thing is that I can duck in and out of many games. Like, if I feel like playing a shooter, you know, I might go play Gradius or something, or I might go play Darius. And I might, you know, wet my whistle, so to speak, and get it out of my system for, like, you know, 20 minutes, half an hour, and go, okay, that was great, I've had enough for the time being. But yeah, Zelda will suck you in, and there are times, especially when you're married with children, ...where that becomes so much more difficult to really, really get into a game. Sometimes to the point of, you know, it might be impossible... ...because even after your your child, baby, toddler goes to bed... ...you know, you're just so damn exhausted after doing everything all day. Going to work, coming home, playing with the baby, putting the baby to bed... ...and, you know, making sure she goes to sleep, etc. So, unless all of a sudden I have, like, a massive swath of free time... Because my uh, my wife and daughter need to go back to Japan again. I'll wait till it comes out and see how it goes, I think. But you know, it for twenty bucks, which in Australia will probably be a hundred and twenty bucks because Australia sucks. <laughs> Good point. I might buy it. I might buy
0: it. Yeah, and Quinn nine seven seven in the chat says got the DLC still waiting for the new map thing. So some people are gonna be able to consume that and play that and and, and get mm. into that, which I think is great and i think the portability is probably going to be not just the portability but the 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 quickness in which you can turn it on and off ac i would imagine would be pretty good for parenting because you just hit sleep on it i'd that say and- so yeah i think that
1: that is probably something i'm going to use more the portability in the future because as you know as my daughter begins to start crawling and walking and pulling things off shelves You know, these things are going to have to be up much higher so she can't get her hands on them. And like my garage is going to be completely locked down so she can't get in there, start messing up all my retro game Mm. consoles. But uh, like my major problem is that I have been playing portable games. I love Game Boy, I love the PSP, I love the Vita. But I've been playing all of these things for so many damn years that I now need glasses to be able to see anything <laughs> on such a tiny screen. And the thing is, I don't wear my glasses as much as I should. So, you know, like when I've, I'm playing Switch, I really, really do need my glasses, despite the fact that the screen ain't that small. It's just that my eyesight after 30 years of playing portable games is really that shocking. So it doesn't. it's a combination of... Portability, but me also having to find my glasses, remember my glasses, and put on my glasses as well. But you look so sexy in them. <laughs> I think I've had people say that I look like a Nazi scientist <laughs> in, in these glasses.
0: <laughs> Chris is thinking real hard they're, about they're that. They're very
1: one. roundish. They're very roundish. I've bro- I've literally broken these glasses uh, four times, and this is there is. Uh, a break in the frame uh, near the nose. There is another break over here, which I've twisted around with wire. And there's another one over here uh, where the arm connects to the rest of the front. All right.
0: Let's glasses. not turn this into another Evangelion podcast. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Four hours, here we come. <laughs> uh, I, think, I think that wraps up our... I l- will now read the alphabet out as the queen. Hey, and so, wow, well, that wasn't the queen. That was, <laughs> that was like... What
0: happened? I, so hicked up, I hicked
1: I hiccuped at the exact moment. I tried to do my queen impression and it came out like Alvin and the Chipmunks.
0: Oh, God. Blah, blah, blah and off the rails oh, we're so go... again i'm surprised we <laughs> lasted this long on the rails although i didn't talk about the voice acting which let me tell you is <laughs> literally <sighs> 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 you want me to talk about evangelion i can do that yes let's talk evangelion <laughs> after after this <laughs> oh my nah. so we'll uh yeah i guess so we'll wrap up the little gaming discussion and and just just spend like two or three minutes real quick with a kind of what's coming up on your next podcast and where can people find you? And is there anything new and noteworthy going on in your life that you'd like to kind of uh, put out there? And AC, we'll start with you and congratulations, by the way, on your family returning to you this week. That's very exciting. Uh, thank you.
1: Yeah, I am looking forward to it. I've been, uh, I've been a bachelor now at home for back in Australia while my, my wife and daughter have been in Japan for, Many, many a month, uh, but I've also been over to Japan quite a a lot as well, and I think I'm getting sick of traveling, and my wife is getting sick of traveling. But uh, coming up, I am actually literally doing the uh, Australian edition of Game Life Balance after this, this afternoon. Uh, I have no idea what our featured game is going to be. Usually, I have a say in this, but this time, because we're recording at Rob's place, I don't. Oh. You Because we've been doing a lot of retro stuff lately because I have my la- rather large collection here and we've been recording at my house a lot. Uh, and then he goes, no, 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 we need to do something more modern. And then he said, we're going to do Ninja something, something, something. I wasn't really paying attention because Rob was talking and yeah, who listens to their co-hosts, really? Really? So keep a listen out for that. Uh, Rob and I uh, are similar in a similar vein to... Uh, Cody and Uncle Stabo's podcast. We're a lifestyle podcast with games. We talk about our lives and what games we've been playing, and we have a featured game every episode, which we delve deep into.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's more of a structure than there is in Game Life Valence US, but. Yeah, we need one because without it, it. Joe's like we're pretty off the rails. We we
1: spent an entire episode talking about uh, John Scatman. Or Scatman John, whatever his
0: name That's was. That's the best episode. That's your best. If you ever apply <laughs> if you ever apply for the Guinea Geek Network, which I have told you to do for months. <laughs> I've told you for months. I to, I can, I've told Chris several times I'm like, "Chris, I think they're going to apply. It's going to be really great. We'll be international net. Well, I guess the network owners in Canada and we're in the US. So we're already international, but like actually international, I mean intercontinental yeah network and every time you'll spend half your episode talking about we should submit this episode to the going Geek Network. We'll scare them off forever.
1: After, or after, after insulting the, the going Geek Network for like half of that episode. They did call me was- they did say
0: Cody I think is the owner of the network six or seven times. And every time <laughs> I tweet at them and say, I'm not the owner of the network
1: but You if we get accepted you guys know that we're gonna be the loose cannons, right? We're- <laughs>
0: Dude, that's do. a that's a tall order. I'm on there. Uh, that's tough to do. <laughs> Actually, all things we'll good... send you the Scatman John episode, and you guys make the that's decision. Scatman John could could give all things good and nerdy a run for their money. You guys we, get pretty... We, we made fun of this guy for literally half the episode, and then found out he was dead. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: And then we made the rest of it, making fun of him even more and making apologies
2: to his family. <laughs> That's fantastic.
1: Pretty- we also have a running joke about uh, The Assassins, A Radical Sect of Islam, which is a book I accidentally once pulled off Rob's like rather extensive library and questioned him to have it. And then we went on to insult the author, who we assumed was dead. Turns out he's 101 and still alive. <laughs>
0: you... Well, but to be fair, in Australia, you're in the future. So a lot of people who are dead there are not actually dead yet in reality. I don't think you
1: ever die in England, really. You just go and have extended periods
0: of tea. With the queen. With the queen. Oh, yes. One does like having having tea with your subjects. Oh, my God. I think you could give all... So All Things Good and Nerdy is one of the podcasts that Chris is on. And I've been on that before. That can also get pretty out of control. <laughs>
2: Yeah, that's putting it charitably. It never gets into quite the right level of control it seems like lately. But it's good. It's
1: good. What do you have Those are the better. Those are the best podcasts though when when anything can happen.
0: Now that we've clarified that you're no longer doing Nerd Alert News, which was an excellent podcast, I will say but I was wondering why it wasn't on my feed. Now I know. Yep, yeah,
2: yeah. burnout happens. That when I, I just burned out, it was too much to do with all the other projects I had going. Yeah,
0: you've got a lot of podcasts, and they're all really good. So even when they're off the rails, but sometimes those are the best ones, which hopefully some of our listeners to this episode will think. But what do you have even coming up? I was on Geek dot com podcast with you a couple weeks ago but you're always on it, so what's up now?
2: I still have another two podcasts to do before Monday, so I've got to work my way through those ones before I get to it.
0: What are you going to be? Because you do All Things Good and Nerdy on Sunday. What's the other one? Right, so we did a double feature for the Starling
2: Tribune this week, which is our fan podcast for the TV show Arrow. On Thursday, we did a recap of this season of the DC TV shows, and then on Sunday, after we record All Things Good and Nerdy, we're doing a live recording of our first impressions on the Wonder Woman movie since that just
0: dropped this week. So mm.
2: this is a uh heavy podcasting weekend for me, and you can find all that stuff over at gunnageek.com, folks.
0: Now wait, are you a woman? Uh, that's a very personal question, Cody. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. I'm just wondering if you were allowed to review the Wonder Woman movie.
2: So that's where it'll get interesting is um who knows what the internet's going to say. <clears throat> uh, I'm a I'm a 30-year-old white male who is middle class and lives in North America. I'm probably not entitled to have an
0: opinion on the Wonder Woman movie. <laughs> well, um, those are some cool things to look forward to. And again, those are all at com. You can find Game Life Balance US on the Gunning Geek Network at com or at us. And Game Life Balance Australia is located at com, where they'll be dropping new episodes more often than... Their United States counterpart, because <laughs> Cody has been really, really busy, is currently pretty much working two jobs, if not more, and has a very busy summer, and oh, by the way, is getting married in just about four months, so... Oh, look, that doesn't take up much of your time. You just gotta stand in front of, like, a, a priest guy when dressed in black and say, yeah, that sounds like fine, mate. Yeah, I'll get married. Why not? Yeah, we still need to ask our friend to actually do the ceremony, so... Is that gonna be Uncle Stabo? No! <laughs> God! Uh, uh. Do you, Casey,
1: take this piece of... Okay, get him <laughs> they, they have to drag him away kicking and screaming I hate you, Cody Or maybe this is where he declares his love for you He will be banging above the
0: altar going Cody, I love you, don't do it well, on that delightful note, I am Cody Goff from Game Life Balance US. This has been a lovely little review that I'm sure I will pare down so it's less than an hour and fifty minutes on the audio only version. Or not, maybe I'll extend it. Maybe I'll put in a couple clips of Rob complaining about the Queen voice or something. There are there is many, many clips to choose from. There are. And AC, thank you so much for joining us from Australia. This is always it's always cool to I just think it's the coolest thing in the world that I listen to you all the time. I listen to Chris all the time. None of us live anywhere near each other. And I would buy either of you a beer at any point. Yes, that's on record. So now I owe you both beers. I don't care. I'll buy you a Foster's just to spite you. We'll go to an Evangelion marathon. Them's fighting words. <laughs> you know, as, as a bonus to this podcast,
1: you should just like have that four hour episode of Evangelion at the end of this podcast. <laughs> No, I'm to put it in the middle. <laughs> but every time you mention the word "evangelian," like you pronounce it wrong, it goes back and just plays
0: all four hours of that again. And then notice we dropped to zero viewers on YouTube. Well done, gentlemen. <laughs> well done. Chris, why don't you take us out? See you
2: later, guys.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. Would, did,
1: didn't you, don't you have the copy for Gunna Geek Network to read Oh, my God, on? I have copy from Gunna Geek- <laughs> The- I'm not even on your network and I know, <laughs> <laughs> know what to do and you guys don't.
0: Oh, this, I prepared. Really. This is an official Gunna Geek Network podcast, isn't it? Oh God, I have five more minutes until I have an official <laughs> date with my fiance. I can't be late. <laughs> I right, have to end this. Ready? Go. Thank you for listening to the Game Life Balance Game Life Guy. A uh, Game Call Life Guy. So Game Life Guyden is when we just kind of mix and match hosts randomly. This is the American slash Australian slash West Virginia yeah of edition of the Game Life Balance Podcast. Game Life Balance dot and Geek dot International dot dot com don't go there it's porn please like share <laughs> please like that's share just porn and of me this is, this is the best outro ever please dressed as the queen Dress as the queen please like share and subscribe and cosplay as the queen if you enjoyed this episode and leave us a review if you really want to make our day or if you hated this please don't leave us a review <laughs> you can find all of us except for AC's lazy ass on the Good and Geek Network at GunageGeek dot com or on WGNradio.com. Maybe if I decide to b- grace them with this wonderful content. You can learn more about Game Life Balance, including contact information and links to the two sister shows at gamelifebalance.us dot US and Game Life Balance Australia dot com. And you can find Chris on atgnpodcast.com or geek.com or lots of other places. Basically, Google us, find us on Twitter, or as AC would say, on Twitter. Twitter, mate. Twi-
1: <laughs> you got to go to the tweets.